So, it's recording. You're on. Cool. So, everybody, thank you for coming. Um, uh, before we hear from Professor Andres Figueroa, uh, I would like to say something. That as many of you may know, uh, today there was a tragic and terrible event in Jerusalem. There was a terrorist attack in the yeshiva in Jerusalem just a few hours ago, and several people were killed and many people were injured. And apparently the, the gunman um, is part of a group, the group that claimed responsibility is a group that is calling for the, for, for the freedom of the Galilee, the north part of Israel. And in Gaza as we speak, there's tens of thousands of people, apparently according to news reports in the BBC and Haaretz, that are actually firing off guns, pa passing out candies and celebrating. And just in relation to what we've been doing here for years in the seminar series, there's no distinction among radical Islamists between being an Israeli, being a Zionist, and being Jewish. And I hope that our seminar series and the work that we're doing in ISA to study contemporary modern anti-Semitism is that we begin to unpack and to critically examine what's going on, what are the processes causing it politically, ideologically, socially, culturally, and to really get a grasp of understanding it and hopefully that people um, with, the, with the abilities and capacities will do things and work with moderate people to, to remedy the situation. And I just want to say from my reading as a scholar that this is nothing short of a <coughs> modern day pogrom. What happened today is a pogrom. And um, if you don't mind, I think we should just take a moment to uh, a reflection of silence just to, to wish the, the families of the victims and the people who are struggling for their lives in hospital now uh, speedy recovery and uh, strength. We have a moment. So thank you. So on this sad note, um, and perhaps it's fitting at some level that we now deal with issues of anti-Semitism. We're very honored for that Professor Andres Chiaro came all the way from Budapest to be with us today. Professor Giro will be speaking, and I hope I'm not mashing your name too much, will be speaking on anti-Semitic discourse in Hungary following the, the collapse of communism. He's a professor in the Department of History at the Central European University in Budapest. Um, his work includes Habitation, Modern History, which, um, which he published in 1995. Sorry, he was educated in Modern History at Edfos Lenard University in Budapest. His PhD is from the Hungarian Academy of Sciences. Uh, he did a master's degree in Modern History and a BA in Sociology and History at Etvos Lornard University. Yeah, okay. Okay, thank you. <laughs> He's currently the director of the Institute of Habsburg Studies in Budapest. He's the editor of the Budapesti Negyet. He's a member of the editor editorial board of Sadzadok, and he's a trustee of the European Union Communications Foundation. 
He's widely published uh, on many issues. He's written a book in English on the Emperor of France, the Emperor Francis Joseph, the King of Hungarians. Um, he's written monographs um, in Hungarian entitled The Overwhelming Minority, the House of Representatives in, in Dualistic Hungary, and so forth. So he's published widely many articles and books in, in English and Hungarian. Um, he spent time at Columbia University and the University of Pennsylvania here in the United States. So it's really a privilege to welcome you and thank you for coming to, to Yale, to ESA. Thank you. So, um, I have this uh, lecture in a written form, uh, and uh, I decided uh, maybe that's a little bit inconvenient for you. Not inconvenient? Uh, maybe. So I, I will read, but I will stop sometimes, you know, if I want to tell more. Uh, and it uh, will, altogether, it will be, I think, maximum 45 minutes. And after that, uh, it, of course, you can ask questions or commentaries. So, okay? So, uh, I would begin because, you know, I, I'm more or less sure that I am talking on a word in, in which the anti-Semitism is uh, not, not an unknown phenomenon for you, but Hungary, uh, I mean the concrete country, is more or less unknown, I think. So, that's why I, 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 I did this overview. So, in Hungary, the communist system collapsed in 1989-1990. Uh, the country went from a state of subjugation to one of political freedom. The system was transformed from an increasingly soft dictatorship into a democracy. The, this newfound liber, liberty had innumerable consequences, including the freedom of expression and the free press. Anything could be published and anything could receive publicity, including anti-Semitic statements, interpretations and narratives. And now I want to talk on the, the, on the uh, legacy of the communist era. In terms of its domestic policy, the official self-articulation self of the Hungarian socialist system, in contrast to other socialist states, contained no anti-Semitic content or elements, coherent or sporadic, no. There was no, no, no anti-Semitic elements. In its own way, the system outlawed alternative uh, the, uh, diverging uh, from the official Jewish self-determination, Jewish Samizdat, but this was only regularly defined as activities related to the Jews. The state adhered to the same policy with respect to the alternative schools of fine art or, for example, what were known as the base Catholic communities. And uh, the official Jewish organizations were subject to multiply controls, state party control, was exercised by the Bureau of Religious Affairs, that was a, the state organization of the communist system, while the task of undercover surveillance fell to the network of malls and the secret service. However, the Hungarian system of communists, obviously under the influence of Soviet policy, was explicitly anti-Semitic in one respect. Although, in contrast to the Soviet Union, it never translated into an element of its domestic policy. It's anti-Israel stance. Uh, in this respect, the system perceived foreign policy interests and its ideology met and in the long term effectively made the bad for the brand of left-wing anti-Semitism that would also be readily accessible 
to the proponents of post-communist uh, anti-Semitism. Soviet policy and its Hungarian counterpart, which stood to the line in this particular respect, sided with the Arab world in the Middle East conflict. This mainly arose from the bipolar logic of the Cold War. If America supported Israel, then the socialist nations had to back to the Arabs. However, this relatively primitive logic evolved to develop a very strong ideological content. Within this construct, the Jewish state took on the role of oppressor, while the Arab countries, notably Palestine, were viewed as the oppressed people. And it was uh, the communist task to side with the oppressed and support them because, let's say, ultimate justice of the history could only be achieved through the liberation of those who were branded as oppressed. Thus, the phenomenon today known as terrorists also became irrelevant. As the stamp of ultimate truth vindicated every act committed by the oppressed, even the murder of unarmed innocent bystanders. The Hungarian state uh, supported in many ways uh, the terrorist organizations uh, at, in the communist time. By the way, uh, one of the most famous terrorists was uh, not an Arab one, but uh, was very famous, Carlos, uh, had a kind of refugee place in Hungary. He, li he lived in, in, with his girlfriend in Budapest. Okay, uh, of course, uh, and the communist authorities defended him from everything. Uh, and when there was the war, uh, with uh, Arafat uh, in Lebanon, uh, the Israeli forces uh, took a lot of uh, uniforms which were made by the Hungarians, you know, one million uniforms they escaped from, the, from, the, from Arafat. I don't know how, why, why one million, Arafat didn't have as many soldiers, but you know, every, every time, everywhere was some corruption. The communist system never called this uh, political ideological structure by name. In other words, it did not regard as an anti-Semitic, but it did classify itself as anti-Zionist. However, Hungarian communists, unlike the Soviet version, did not translate its anti-Zionist policy into rhetoric of retribution against Jews living in the country. The presence and functioning of the communist system in Hungary had a profound effect of on the identity of Jews living here, I mean in Hungary. Hungarian Jews uh, went through far-reaching assimilation since the second half of the 19th century. Assimilation meant no more than Jews in Hungary become, becoming Hungarian Jews or, one might say, Jewish Hungarians. This process had several distinguishing, uh, distinguishing marks. Firstly, an increasing uh, number of Jews became part of the reformed Jewish movement called Neology in Hungary. Generally, it's reformed Judaism, you know, it's from the 18th century. It was invented uh, uh, by Germans, first of all by Mendelssohn, which enabled within the religious identity a more flexible practice of religion vis-a-vis -vis, uh, the norms of majority Christian society. Secondly, an increasing number and proportion of Jews use the Hungarian language and the changeover of language or language use is a very known category of identity expression. People of Jewish origin also actively contributed to the output of Hungarian culture. Uh, many became writers and journalists. Many also abandoned uh, the Jewish religion because, like Heinrich Heine or Karl Marx and many other people of Jewish origin in the 19th century, they saw abandonment of their religion and conversion to Christianity uh, as an entry into the European culture. 
The current of assimilation was so strong that in a certain sense it stifled the expression of Jewishness in the terms of integration. Hungarian Jews saw that they were just as much Hungarians as the other as the rest, except in certain cases for the religion. Uh, many uh, saw of themselves as Hungarians who just uh, practice another religion. The integrative identity would have meant that uh, they regarded themselves as a different kind of Hungarians from the majority of Hungarian nation simply because they had a different history and partly because they had different cultural traditions. But the anti-Semitic logic, a departure from anti-Judaism, which was gaining ground Hungary as it was all across Europe in the second half of the 19th century, prompted the view that self-articulation in terms of integration would play into the hands of the anti-Semites. Uh, they therefore redoubled their efforts to blend into everything which society regarded as Hungarian. When the independent Hungarian state introduced increasingly drastic discriminative Jewish laws between the two wars, Hungarian Jewish organizations continually insisted that they were just as much Hungarian as anybody else. When the logic of Jewish laws following the Nazi occupation of the country ran into the Holocaust, Hungarian Jews had a relatively low level of resistance. One reason for this was that having adopted an identity which was so deeply Hungarian, they were intellectually defenseless against the rationalist worldview and the horrors it implied. In Hungary, it was Jews living outside Budapest who bore the brunt of the Holocaust. Put another way, non-Budapest Jews were deported with the active assistance of Hungarian state bodies, sent to concentration camps, and the vast majority ended their lives in the gas chambers. Budapest Jews were not subjected to the deportation because, after the non-Budapest Jews had been taken away, the governor of the occupied country revoked the intention to liquidate them. That meant that the Hungarian Nazis who came power in October uh, 1944 could murder them in the traditional manner by execution. In demographic terms, the consequence of this was that a large section of the Hungarian Jewish population perished, but a comparatively large group did survive the Nazi occupation. This was the state of affairs when the end of the Second World War uh, reached the Hungarian Jews. In terms of identity history, the Holocaust and the installation of the communist system prompted many of the survivors to leave the country, emigrating to the newborn Israel, or newly formulated Israel, the United States, or the Western Europe. And those who remained to try uh, and forget that they were associated with Jewishness in any way. For those who stayed, every aspect of Jewishness was part of a culture of forgetting, an attempt to free themselves from the past and bury themselves in a society whose ideology announced from on high that it had surpassed all kinds of anti-Semitism and racial prejudice because it was built, building in a new world. The generation of Hungarian Jews who survived the Holocaust proved capable of passing on the culture of forgetting to their children and grandchildren. The communist system itself played a part in fostering this culture of forgetting. Like many other expressions, it made a taboo out of the word Jew. It paid little attention to the Holocaust or the responsibility of the people in the state of Hungary and offered survivors no prospect of compensation because its approach to Hungarian history was that something completely new had started, something that might have roots in the past but 
of an utterly different order, so and so even tradition was subordinate to it. Hungary, Hungarian history was not a continuity to be elucidated, but a tradition that could be selected from. The taboo status shows up the, in the fact that relatively few publications on the Holocaust appeared during the communist period. Literary verse on the subject, few but of a high standard, were only published with difficulty and in small print runs. The struggle uh, surrounding Imre Kerti's novel, Fatalessness, you know, there's a Nobel Prize uh, uh, novel, uh, uh, Kerti's got the Nobel Prize in 2002 for this novel, is perhaps the episode which is the best known internationally. Uh, the communist system saw that if it did not talk about something, or hardly did, then it did not exist. The history of the Holocaust was just in a double bin. Uh, the surviving Jews wanted to forget, and the regime wanted to keep quiet. These two mutually reinforcing factors left their questions Hungarian antisemitism, the Holocaust, and the problem of Jewish identity almost completely on its mind. When the transition came, uh, it means the communist, uh, the collapse of communists, collapse of communists. In the half century after the end of the Second World War, these issues were still intellectually unsettled. The characteristic of the situation can, in a certain sense, be measured statistically. According to data gathered by the Alliance of Jewish Communities of Hungary, about 20,000 of the country's 10 million population registered for compensation. Uh, uh, when the post-transition Jewish compensation laws were discussed and adopted. The same organization found, found that no more than 5,000 people attended synagogues on the main Jewish uh, holidays. Combining that number of uh, 20,000 applicants for compensation with the probable age distribution, this organization estimated the number of Jews in Hungary uh, about 100, 120,000. Taking into account the altered life strategies adopted by Jews remaining in Hungary after 1945, I mean after the end of the war, and the workings of the culture of the forgetting, the number of people of partly Jewish origin may be put at about 300,000. You know, a grandmother is Jew, or the wife is Jew, or the father is Jew, so it's, a, it's not, not in a halakhial sense Jewish somebody, but part. These views are not of great significance in themselves and in any case contain many uncertain factors, but they do indicate that the expression of Jewish identity in any sense among the broad mass of Hungarian Jews is not a widespread phenomenon. Of course, this is only one side of the coin, the old side. In reaction to the culture of forgetting a later protest against communism, a protest which may be termed, let's say, Jewish Renaissance, got underway after the political transition. The atmosphere of freedom fostered communities, houses, uh, journals, publishers, a Jewish university, Jewish organizations of various uh, uh, activity, a Jewish cultural festival, and debates on Jewish self-articulation. No matter how spectacular, however, these phenomena do not, by a long way, embrace all people of Jewish origin in the sociological sense. Indeed, to some extent, they have been and remain sporadic. The largely secular mass of Hungarian Jews, with their widespread of identities, is linked together by only one thing of sociological significance, a rejection of the still present phenomenon of anti-Semitism and uh, 
and of course it concerned uh, their common memory on the, on the, on the Holocaust. You know, it's very interesting uh, what the, was the uh, uh, result of the Holocaust. The Holocaust was a historical phenomenon which was not wanted by the Jews. But uh, uh, if we take this uh, divergent identity, only the Holocaust is the common point among the Jews. So it's, it's, it's a kind of dialectics of history that uh, it ha happened something to them which they didn't want, and finally it helped them to create a common identity point. <clears throat> Arriving at uh, the state of freedom, Hungarian society was accustomed to the idea that the Jewish state was some kind of devil, or at least to the fact that it appeared in a demonized context. As for Hungarian Jews, they did not talk about themselves or formulate their own history, and this was regarded by others as correct and acceptable. But everyone had become unaccustomed to overt anti-Semitism. Just a point of principle. Uh, we should be clear on the fact that while the Hungarian socialist regime was not anti-Semitic, it was still a dictatorship. And even the worst quality of freedom is better than the best form of dictatorship. Racism and anti-Semitism are not an essence of liberty, but simply a byproduct of it. In the, on the other hand, a disregard for human dignity is the essence of dictatorship. Okay, the anti-Semitic discourse emerged almost immediately after the change of regime. First it appears sporadically and then in the form of a coherent narrative shaped into a worldview. First, it appeared in a series of isolation manifestations, later evolving in the branch of institu institutionalized politics. The anti-Semitic worldview, because the audience was unaccustomed to it, sounded innovative, although there was nothing original in either its theme or its structure. A crucial, a crucial structural element of anti-Semitic discourse originated from the antidescendants of 19th century Europe, already present before the Second World War, and reconstitution in post-communist Hungary is the distinction between us and them. The differentiation is based on the premise that we, the Hungarians, are very different from them, the Jews. The difference is not without import because they are intent on harming us. Who are they? Naturally, they are communists, they are the capitalists, they are the liberals, they are our enemies. They are our enemies. They want to force all kinds of alliance ideologies upon, upon us and destroy our untainted and unique national characteristic. They are not members of our nation. They, their assimilation is bogus a sham. They are members of a world conspiracy more loyal to each other than to the other Hungarian people. They can even make a profit out of their own suffering. These structural themes contain no originality whatsoever. In intellectual terms, they are not even worth it of content since they, have been, uh, since they have no rational interpretation, a fact which has been reiterated in the European culture by a great many people in a great time, great many times. Nonetheless, the anti-Semitic discourse that emerged in post-communist period still represented an innovation in three respects. That's the innovation. One new development was a slightly different linguistic medium through which uh, the old content was delivered. 
The second comprised the specific events which, with which the old content was associated, thus giving it a new currency. The third was inherent in the discourse regarding the possible means of dealing with the narrative which serves as a vehicle uh, for the old content. To this participant in, uh, in anti-Semitic discourse, unlike their pre-word or two counterparts, do not regard themselves as anti-Semites. One reason for this is that, means, is that the means of expressing of the, uh, the traditional anti-Semitic content has been linguistically overhauled uh, to a certain extent or assimilated into a different ideological framework. I have already referred to the fears of anti-Israeli stance of the political left and the smuggling of the oppressor-oppressed dichotomy into the discourse on Israel. First of all, the linguistic and ideological artifice of communist anti-Semitism enabled, enabled uh, people with the left-wing views to also make use of the anti-Semitic content without having to actually regard themselves as anti-Semites. Secondly, it had a rejuvenating effect on the traditional language of traditional anti-Semitism. Naturally, this was also prompted by the fact that Holocaust uh, had compromised the existing anti-Semitic terminology, making it unacceptable to assume an, an, an anti-Semitic identity. The upshot of uh, all uh, this was the unreconstructed anti-Semitic content received a linguistic framework that had been reconstructed or partially reconstructed in a certain sense, thus giving birth to the code language of the traditional anti-Semitism. In Hungarian expressions such as foreign hearty or foreign soul or Galician carpetbagger and other similar uh, expressions have become euphemism uh, for the former derivative epithets in uh, Jews, removing uh, the need to even utter the G word. Once in place, this code language can be utilized in a context that packages the traditional content with new elements, enabling everybody to, to translate the expression those used and contextualized back to the original their hands, their head, in their heads. <coughs> The second innovation lies in the all new events, updated in the code language. The basic content is old, the event is current, and the problem associated with it, uh, with, uh, with it new, but its novelty is precisely what warns us that traditional content is still alive. The language is, is a code. This is how the classic anti-Semitic themes are presented. Let's take an example. The Jewish word conspiracy is a traditional anti-Semitic uh, theme issue, which also takes the form from the protocols of the elders of Zion. Uh, you know, it's a, a falsification of Tsar's uh, secret service. <coughs> uh, by the way, the protocols of Zion uh, uh, is published now in Hungary, because that's freedom of press. Uh, the current variant of the world conspiracy focuses on George Soros, the American-Hungarian uh, Jewish billionaire, philanthropist, who has set up a number of foundations in Central Eastern Europe. Specific persons rendered symbolic and de demonized in the anti-Semitic narrative can be linked simultaneously to traditional anti-Semitic stereotypes, those of nationalistically motivated anti-Americanism, the anti-capital stance based on left-wing values, and relatively new anti-globalist movement. And this can be done in a way that makes it compatible with the terminology of all the ideologies. 
just uh, one remark. Anti-globalism uh, in Central Europe is more or less uh, a right-wing phenomenon. It's interesting because generally in the world, uh, if we have demonstration against the globalism, it's a left-wing demonstration. In Hungary, it's a right-wing phenomenon. Why? Because it's linked with the anti-Americanism and the anti-Semitism. Uh, In chat, you could say that if Soros did not exist, then the anti semites would have to invent him. Uh, to the anti semites Soros embodied the New York, Budapest, Tel Aviv axis, you know, which is a word conspiracy, through which the focus of anti semitism has shifted party towards anti Americanism. By the way, uh, I will tell a little bit later about it. Uh, the anti semites it's not, not just against the Jews. Maybe that uh, it, it could exist without the Jews, because uh, so many images of enemy can be included or incorporated in the anti-Semitism that it can work uh, without uh, having a Jewish population. For example, the anti-Americanism, or America itself, as a kind of Jewish discipline in the world, not important that what's the base of it, it can be uh, a kind of uh, issue which, uh, which which we say to the people that uh, if you don't like the Jews, don't, you, you, you don't have to like America. If you don't like America, you don't have to like the Jews. Uh, when differentiating between us and them, it's traditionally very important for them to be anti-national. This could be given currency, for example, by the recent case in which was regarded as a national football. You know, in Europe we use the term football, in America, it's soccer. Okay. The football team came under Jewish ownership. The anti-Semitic discourse that was part of uh, here demonstrated dramatically just how close uh, to the surface the classic team really remains. But at the same time, the narrative also appeared to be conducted as a football and soccer level, which despite the obvious anti-Semitic content, enabled to, to uh, the Minister of Justice of the time to state that she does not follow the game. That was her reaction. These anti-Semitic speeches concerning the soccer. It was also possible to apply the similarity, the similarly well-established tenets of Jewish greed and immorality in the anti-Semitic interpretation of the debate surrounding surrounding compensation of Hungarian Jews from the Second World War. Here. They used the term of the term of the Holocaust business. It was used to stigmatize and to invoke through structures that imply the collective stigma. And naturally, the Jews' cosmopolitanism, traditionally a negative trait to the anti-Semitic reading, was also brought up to date. The communist fathers had liberal sons, and thus the two internationally inspired tendencies embodied in the Jewish form became the enemy of the nation. <coughs> Uh, I mentioned that uh, the, the, in the anti-Semitism the symbol is, is, is very strong, and that's another remark to tell you that, of course, the, the classic anti-Semitic system of prejudices was always metaphorical. Therefore, it can be applied not only to the Jews, but to all things that the anti-Semites believe to be Jewish. This is how a liberal author, despite being descended from the Hungarian aristocracy, 
can be stigmatized as an embodiment of the corrupting Jewish spirit. The Jewish label is every bit as symbolic as it's specific. Indeed, the more anti-Semitic is a, uh, a mindset, the more symbolic it is. Uh, the emergence of anti-Semitic discourse gave rise to the question of how it should be approached, uh, the mode and means of responding to it. This, uh, historically speaking, counted as a new problem in Hungary. In the first period of press freedom, after the Austro-Hungarian Auslight, uh, uh, it was in 1867, there were no legal obstacles to publishing anti-Semitic content. It was permitted to be openly and avowedly anti-Semitic, although the liberal Hungarian state that existed between uh, uh, the Compromise and the end of the First World War did not promote or support anti-Semitism on the political level. What had only been permitted up until the First World War gained approval in the, in the interwar period. The anti-Semitism of public discourse was explicitly supported to varying, to varying degrees by government policy and from the end of the uh, 1930s even took the form of racially based laws. What had been simply tolerated became state policy. The escalation of anti-Semitic discourse into the Holocaust created a new situation after the war. It became clear there were, that there was no longer any such thing as harmless anti-Semitism. Prejudiced speech became more than simply irresponsible. The words had turned to blood and the gestures to mass homicide, ethnic cleansing. Word indeed become one and same. Uh, there were still anti-Semitic problems immediately after, the, immediately after the war, but state policy was no longer anti-Semitic. Anti-Semitic discourse lived on more at the social and the political level. The Stalinist communist dictatorship, by its nature, only permitted one mode of speech. This narrative, direct uh, from above, was not anti-Semitic, but it just as well could have been. The Zionist doctoral trials initiated by Soviet Union also increased the receptivity uh, to anti-Semitism in Hungary. Stalin's dance, in Hungary at least, marked an, uh, an end to the further escalation of the process. During the uprising of 1956, anti-Semitism emerged once again. Its presence was only tangible at the social level, and there was no trace of it uh, in the conduct of self and self-articulation of the uprising leaders. But a great many Jews still took advantage of the temporary opening of the borders and fled the country. After all, only 12 years passed since 1944. Uh, many believe, uh, I have already mentioned the communist regime had that followed under Janusz Krada, which is not articulated in the Semitic policies. The presence of anti-Semitic discourse, which emerged after the regime changed to develop into a coherent value, took society, and a great many of the political elite who dominated the system of democracy by surprise. Many believed that something needed to be done. Many were of the option that opinion that it need, it need not to be taken too seriously. And many believed that the freedom of speech, the press, and the uh, and opinion is too important for us to restrict our self-expression, however racist its content. The differing views generated disputes as well as attempts to deal with the problems, partly motivated by the fact 
that while quite a few of the grossly anti-Semitic outbursts resulted in lawsuits, in some cases the articulators of the anti-Semitic statements were ex-honorated by the court. For the first time in Hungary's history, it was planned to restrict hate speech by law. Of course, the definition of hate speech did not only include anti-Semitic discourse, but in the light of the country's history, it was certainly a key element. The question gave rise to serious political debate, and the parliamentary bill set off on its course through the legislation. Legisl legisl legislation. At the end, uh, in the end, uh, it came to nothing, as the proposals were screened out by the Constitutional Court. Naturally, this did not bring at the end of the debate, and even today opinions are divided as uh, to whether freedom of speech should be take priority over a life without fear. With regard to anti-Semitic discourse, the situation we are left with is similar to that of the age of dualism that followed in the uh, Austro-Hungarian Compromise. Some speak it, others protest uh, against it, and successive government distance themselves from it with varying degrees of emphasis. Hungarian anti-Semitism discourse also has a political orientation. This expression, this uh, the expression discourse uh, presupposes a public element, and by its nature, public narrative takes a political stance. The Hungarian anti-Semites, as I already indicated, consider neither themselves nor their statement to be anti-Semitic. The communist regime never classified left-wing anti-Semitism as anti-Jewish, labeling its only anti-Semitic. Zionist, anti-Israeli, or through a process of sublimation, anti-nationalist or anti-imperialist. Its, in its political self-articulation, the political left-wing, albeit in terms of its thinking, not in every case, fundamentally abandoned this latent anti-Semitic narrative. The narrative drifted to the extreme right, where it merged with traditional anti-Semitic content. In the political sense, in Hungary today, the unabridged anti-Semitism worldview is concentrated to the extreme right of the political spectrum. Naturally, this statement applies not to individual person, but to the politically institutionalized organizations, movements, and parties. Even as an anti-Semitic, uh, a given person could be a left-wing or moderately right-wing voter, since the political preferences of the individual, individual result from a combination of factors. The political institutionalization of the extreme right and the emergence of anti-Semitic worldview developed in parallel, reinforcing each other. The first political force to be become visible to the naked eye and uh, to openly generate anti-Semitic discourse, while not regarding itself, itself as an anti-Semitic, was the Hungarian Justice and Life Party. In the course of its history to date, it has once, between uh, 1998 and 2002, succeeded in gathering 5% of the votes necessary to win a seat in Parliament. One component of the party infrastructure is the periodical entitled uh, Hungarian Forum, Magyar Forum, which propagates explicitly anti-Semitic views. At one time, a radio station affiliated with the party was operated in Budapest. More recently, no longer in Parliament, they regrouped uh, to a form an extreme right-wing youth movement called Jobbik. Uh, in Hungarian, if I would translate, Jobbik means, if I would translate in, uh, uh, in English, it has two senses. Uh, Jobbik is it's something which is better, better. But Jobbik uh, is more right. 
play with the world. Uh, and struggled in 2006 uh, to make political heavy under the name of uh, Harmony, Hood Third Way. They called themselves national radicals, but based on their public statements and peculiar uh, brand of anti-capitalists, they are closer to the national socialists, which many refer uh, to, uh, to by the former German acronym of Nazi. At the same time, the political infrastructure of anti-Semitic discourse, besides as a result of the marked presence of the language employed uh, by the Hungarian Justice Party, also, became, also came to include Hungarian public service radio through its program, Vasárnap uh, uh, its uh, Sunday newspaper. A good many internet sites associated with Jobbik has also become incorporated into the infrastructure. By the way, uh, growing internet sites uh, having an anti-Semitic uh, content in, in, in Hungary, and nobody can control them. In 2007, Jobbik set up its own paramilitary organization, the Hungarian Guard, using symbols similar to those of the former Hungarian Nazis, the Arab Cross Movement. Establishing the political orientation, by, uh, by the way, this Hungarian Guard, which is a very dangerous phenomenon, of course, it's a, it has an anti-Semitic content, but uh, concretely, it, uh, now their activity more anti-Gypsy than, uh, than anti-Jewish. So they are, they are concrete activity. Uh, establishing the political orientation of anti-Semitic discourse is straightforward in the case of the extreme right. Of course, this doesn't mean that anti-Semitic content does not appear elsewhere. In terms of political leanings, the field closer to the center of the spectrum represents a far more complicated problem. The problem mainly arises from what can be termed the code language of anti-Semitism. This is because the use of the code words is not the exclusive preserve of the extreme right, but also props up in the dialogue of other political entities, although the given topic does not fit into a comprehensive anti-Semitic narrative, since it conceals no coherent anti-Semitic content. This only further complicates the reactions of people sensitive to anti-Semitism, as uh, the use of such code word can be attributed a greater significance than, than is justified. The stigmatic interpretation of a given code word can make its sporadic use appear to be an avoided anti-Semite. This is only one step away from political hysteria or hype. Besides this hype-up perception, a new factor clothing our vision is the fact that non-right-wing non -right uh, politicians occasionally use uh, code words with anti-Semitic content. Of course, it is possible that they do not know what, we, uh, what they are saying. It is possible and cert certainly true sometimes, but it's still not a satisfactory explanation. Far more likely is that by deliberately using one or two code words, they wish to reach voters whose thinking incorporates anti-Semitic prejudice. They do this in the hope that the code word is only a subtle reference and will not detract uh, from their legitimacy in the political center. Uh, research, uh, a lot of research we have, shows that in Hungary there are more people who hold anti-Semitic prejudices than there are extreme right-wing voters. According to credible surveys, approximately 5% of the population are hardcore anti-Semite, while around 25% are soft, 
people who are passively anti-Jewish in their thinking. Incidentally, these figures are only the same in Western Europe. However, it does not take special research for a politician to sense that there are more, individual, more individuals with an anti-Semitic mindset than there are extreme right-wing voters. Presumably, this is why, in certain cases, certain anti-Semitic code words crop up in the language used by the politicians who otherwise have no anti-Semitic tendency, tendencies or worldview. Another consequence in, uh, is that these same politicians fail to distance themselves for extreme right, giving rise to the suspicion that there, there is some overlap. Uh, so, uh, the political center of the anti-Semitic discourse, anti discourse in Hungary can be clearly identified. However, the edges are not so clearly defined. In the absence of laws that prohibit engaging in anti-Semitic discourse, two courses of action remain open. One is indifference, and the other is protest of one sort or, 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 or another. The latter is detectable and visible. The mode of speech used to protest against anti-Semitism is multi-lawyer and conceals a variety of identities. Sometimes spectacular, sometimes less vociferous uh, protests are made against the various forms of instances of anti-Semitic discourse. One level of the discourse uh, is the anti-racist mode of speech articulated in the name of human equality. This can branch out along the lines of religious, it means Christian principles, or can take a secular approach, uh, one that stems uh, from the age of enlightenment. Uh, then there is no law, uh, then the, there is uh, the logic that arises from the particularly Jewish perspective, which places less emphasis on the general principles and concentrates only on Jewish considerations. And finally, there is a tendency that can be referred uh, to as the level of historical discourse. The latter is usually uh, voiced in matters related to the symbolism. For example, an initiative to erect a statue of an anti-Semitic uh, former prime minister or the publishing of a historical narrative that is apologetic the anti-Semites, uh, that, that can be the case. In such cases, the discursive logic of possessing the past tends to dominate. Often these differing lo different uh, logics and modes of speech are intermingled, but, uh, but they all share as a common element the premise that anti-Semites anti are bad people Anti-Semitism is a crime, and therefore something to be ashamed of. Uh, the power of anti-Semitic discourse should uh, not be over or underestimated. It has developed into a complete coherent narrative, a community for which latent and demand outstrip the current, the current level of supply. The consumer base can be expanded. The market for anti-Semitism has plenty of growth potential. On the other hand, there are no, not as many people prepared to peddle it as the people with the means to do so. This appears to contradict the, uh, this, this appears to contradict the logics of the local market, but not that of the global one. Okay, thank you. Thank you.
Last week we had a very interesting presentation by a philosopher. And he was looking at how memory is connected to, to the core of a person's identity and how memory also affects individual identity and collective identity. And negation of the Holocaust or Holocaust denial is also a denial of the individual and the community. So it seems to be, a, from the politics, so as an outsider who's not an expert on Hungarian society at all, and I'm not being humble, I'm speaking the truth, um, I, I read a lot how people in the Hungarian Jewish community and anti-fascist organizations are extraordinarily worried about the political situation. And is this triggered by perhaps a sense of memory, given that you've spent a lot of time exploring the history of uh, anti-Semitism in Hungarian society from the Holocaust to the current? Is this a collective memory of the Jewish community, or are things very serious and the threat of anti-Semitism and of the radical right significant to destabilize Hungarian society? Because judging on your paper, it doesn't seem to be that bad from what I've I've been reading as an outsider. So I'm wondering if you can kind of clarify the state of current affairs with regard to anti-Semitism and the threat to the community and perhaps the stability of the emerging liberal Hungarian society. Do I have to answer now or? Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. And then we'll take, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be uh, an extensive Yes, or do I have to stand up? However you feel. This whole time is a difficult question because, on the one hand, uh, uh, especially uh, among the elder generation, it's a kind of, uh, and now I'm talking of Jews, it's a kind of hysteria, real hysteria. But I can understand these guys or these uh, old ladies because they survived something, they had an experience, you know. And they, uh, for example, my mother, who is 80, 87 years old, all the time when he when he, he, he is listening to some anti-Semitic speeches in Hungary, all the time he says to me, she says to me, you know, I have heard it. I have heard it. I remember. Because in her remembrance, uh, that's the 40s. That's the, that's the 40s when, when it was the Holocaust, you know, and the, and the, and the, and at that time when the state on the, was on the side of the anti-Semitism. Uh, so that's a kind of hysteria, so an overestimation of the, of the anti-Semitism. On the other hand, if you see the facts, uh, after the collapse of communism, however, it's democracy, now it's freedom of speech, you know, everybody can make any association, you know, any even paramilitary group, uh, there was no attack no, no, against no one Jewish community. By the way, if uh, we are talking, let's say, uh, in, in on Western Europe, uh, in, in Western Europe, it has happened many times, like in France, even in Germany, you know, in Austria. So there was no, no any physical attack against uh, Jewish communities. Uh, only some uh, some sporadic cases was when uh, there was a kind of attack against Jewish cemeteries, you know, and it became clear after a time. Sometimes drunk people went there, you know, and they made a, wanted to make a scandal. They wanted general young man, they wanted to, to show that we are strong. And they, you can be strong, uh, especially in that case, if somebody's died, 
you know, so you go to the cemetery, you, you uh, do that scandal in the cemetery and you go. Uh, okay, so that's one side, the other side. But uh, the fact that in Hungary there is no, no more anti-Semite than it was. Uh, just they are much more loved. You know, they, they, they have the feeling that uh, the democracy doesn't want to, uh, to, to, to make limitations to them. If there is no limitations for them, you know, they think that they can do everything. They can say everything. So they are very loved. Uh, and sometimes it seems that the big noise it means that, they, that, that more people behind them. So I, I don't think so. I don't think that uh, Hungary would choose the way of anti-Semitism in the, in the, on the political level. Of course, on the social level, that's a different one. On social level, you know, it can it can be anti-Semitism, but there's again a double double-faced phenomenon, you know. We are not so not so many people here, so I can personal confession. You know, uh, I have a Jewish origin, and, and, and it's not a secret uh, for anybody in Hungary. Uh, and uh, between us, uh, I had a, a, a lot of uh, let's say female friend, a lover, but uh, there was no 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 one Jewish, which means uh, uh, that in Hungarian society. A lot of positive prejudice concerning the Jews. For example, uh, Hungarian, a lot of Hungarian ladies think that uh, uh, the, the Jewish boys are very good, not just, just because of these sexual reasons. Uh, that's a mythology, <laughs> mythology, I, I can tell you. Uh, but why? Because they don't drink. They, don't, they, they respect the family. They want to keep the family together. It's, a, it's again a, a very positive, uh, it's, a, it's a prejudice, of course because the assimilation had a long way, so there is no difference between the Jews and the neighboring society from this point of view, but a lot of positive attitudes too. Uh, but at the same time, of course, there are some negative attitudes, but the, I, I don't want to mix the social level of anti-Semitism and the positive prejudices, the political level. So I don't see that, I don't think that in Hungary, uh, in, the, in the politics, uh, the anti-Semites would have a key position. It's a, by the way, it's uh, against the European Union too. So Hungary, the Hungarian history all time was influenced by the great powers, you know, just in the last 400 years. And it not, not uh, it's uh, and, and that's in, it's important that which great power could have an influence. When the Nazi Germany had influence on Hungary, the Hungarian state was absolutely anti-Semite. When Soviet Union had big, big influence, the Hungarians were absolutely pro-Arab. I pro art, just pro art, everything. Uh, now, uh, the biggest influence has in, in, in Europe for Hungary the European Union. And uh, the European Union, it's against their norms, uh, any discrimination. Hello? Yet another person with Hungarian accent, but I think the contemporary question is still, and I'd like you to comment, there are a couple of issues which are different. And this is a group here for a global understanding probably of this phenomenon. So one is that the code language that you emphasize. So I, I would be still curious a brief comparison with any other countries, either the Middle East or, or Europe or in America, how much code language could infiltrate both the political life and the everyday social aspect. 
So I don't think so. Along that line, I don't think so. This is so without danger. We are going to have snapshot. Yes, maybe the numbers of anti-Semites are not more than 40 years ago, but um, there is here a future. So there is a, a different culture, different political and social culture. So it has this. And I'm curious how does it compare with other countries that it would do in future things. It's so much used in political terms. The other question would be that all of our right-wing people are saying they are not anti-Semite. If you compare with other countries, the all anti-Semite structures, they are openly anti-Semites. They are proudly anti-Semites. Yeah. So is it a Hungarian arrogance or so this is the two questions, because the two issues it's unique and maybe <coughs> not as obvious in other countries or other cultures. Uh, you know, let's begin with the, with the, with the first. That uh, 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 I told in this presentation that uh, uh, the dialect anti-Semitism uh, and in many and in Hungary, the people feel it. I mean, that who are anti-Semite, uh, it, it doesn't work on the, on the European state, on the European level. So it's you cannot be uh, openly anti-Semite. That's that's why the, we had uh, we had uh, and we had this code language. Of course, the content is the same, just the terminology uh, is different. Uh, it's a positive phenomenon, by the way, because the code language is better than the dialect. Uh, uh, the language makes a big difference. A big difference. Not sure everyone would agree. Sorry? Why would anyone would agree with that the code language is better than the direct? And the code language is understood that it is close to the same value. Yes, but you know, uh, not important. Uh, it, it makes a difference that if you are talking like uh, uh, like Goebbels or Hitler, or you have to find another way. I mean, another setting. Self-expression, but I agree. The not important the code language or not code language. The, the content is strongly anti-Semite. Uh, uh, there are the differences from this point of view. Uh, uh, in Russia, for example, uh, the anti-Semite is anti-Semite and very proud, proud of it. Why? Because. Uh, 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 in the Russia, in the Soviet history, in the Soviet history, uh, there was no official repression against the Jews. The communists oppressed the Jews, and uh, uh, under Stalin and under Brezhnev especially, you know. But the communist system was based on, on the language of lying, how to lie. They use the term uh, proletarian internationalism. You know, it doesn't mean anything. It, it means that. Send your troops in the foreign country. You know, that was the, or, or worker state. What was the worker state? Nothing. So, uh, uh, so they use the language of uh, of lying. You know, and that's why these people in Russia who are anti-Semite are proud to be anti-Semite, saying that you know I don't lie, I don't lie. I tell directly that I am anti-Semite. Uh, in Romania, the same phenomenon, because the Ceausescu regime was the same. Uh, had the same language of life. Uh, uh, so there are some differences in the ex-Soviet world. If you see what's happening in in in, in, in France or 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 
Germany, uh, you know, in France, uh, who is anti-Semite saying that I am anti-Semite. In Great Britain, they are not ready to say that I am, or they, some of them anti-Semite, they are not ready to say that I am anti-Semite. So, uh, very colorful picture from this point of view. So, not only the Hungarians who use a quota language. What was the second? Related is this uh, denying, so you know, overtly denying that we are anti Semite. So it doesn't take pleasure. I, you answer, I guess. Well, well, one of the most famous events in the early communist period was the purge trials of the original leaders of the Communist Party in Hungary, many of whom were Jewish, and it was widely understood that these purges were part of a widespread anti-Semitic purge in communist-dominated countries. Is there any residue of these once famous events, or are they part of the subconscious of Hungarians and Hungarian Jews, or is it all just lost to history? Yeah, but yes, you, you, are, you are right. Pardon. Uh, you know, the problem with these communists who have Jewish origin that they decided not to be Jewish. So, uh, to be communist is a, is a complete and full identity. So, uh, if you are communist, you don't have nothing to do with your Jewishness. So, uh, it was a trap for these people. However, they, they, some of them had Jewish origin. Why? Because, you know, after the Second World War, uh, uh, who, whom, you, whom the Soviets, whom they could trust, you know, that that people, first of all, who were not involved in the in the, any kind of fascist uh, or Nazi regime, who was not involved in this regime uh, by definition, the Jews. So that Jews who stayed in Hungary and in Czechoslovakia and in Poland after the uh, Second World War, a big part of them became communist. He wanted to change the identity. He wanted to forget his Jewishness. Why? Because to be Jewish, it was very inconvenient, very inconvenient, just problems. If you change your identity, you will be communist, and you will have a big career in the communist uh, era. It means that uh, you are not uh, considered as Jewish. And of course, when it was the Stalinism, the logics of Stalinism, which was, first of all, against the communists, against the communists, you know, in the party, uh, uh, wanted to, to clean the uh, these this, uh, communist apparatus and, and among them a lot of Jews were uh, executed, you know, and uh, sent to the jail. Uh, uh, in the eyes of the common people, it didn't have a, 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 a Jewish, a Jewish uh, element or a Jewish uh, smell. It, uh, for the common people, it was that one communist wants to kill the other one, and I am out of it. So uh, uh, that Jews who, who were deeply involved in the Stalinist uh, era, they were not Jews. Maybe that they were born as, Jew, as, as Jews, but they were not Jews. Well, but uh, <clears throat> these were anti-Semitic developments and movements uh, might not have had that smell to the average Hungarian, but oddly enough, they had that smell to intellectuals all over the Western world. The, the, the doctor's plot in the, the Soviet Union, uh, the purges in Romania, as well as uh, 
Hungary, Hungary, the Hungarian purges were the most famous, but also similar things happened in Poland. Uh, the bare remnant of Polish Jewry uh, fled Czechoslovakia as well. Slansky. So that they were seen, uh, if not by the Hungarian average person, they you know, were seen they, all uh, over the world as, as anti-Semitic developments or events. I mean, the peculiarity of Stalinism. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Uh, I just want to understand you. Uh, if, uh, yeah, if a high-ranked communist uh, having a Jewish origin executed by the communist, uh, why do you consider it as anti-Semitism? You wouldn't if it was just happened at random. But it seemed obvious no, that, that in many uh, of these instances that it was focused on high-level members of the party whose background was Jewish, as against others who were not Jewish and probably had committed the same errors as these people who were selected out to be perfect. Let me tell you an example. Uh, uh, in Hungary, you mentioned Hungary. Uh, in Hungary, uh, uh, under the Stalinists, uh, we had five leaders of the country. The general secretary of the party was a guy who had a Jewish origin. The, uh, the head of military, minister of uh, military affairs, was Jewish. I mean, had a Jewish origin. Uh, uh, the person who, who, who was a prime minister for a while had a Jewish origin. And the person who was the head of secret service, most hated organization, had Jewish origin too. So four of them, and, and, and another person who, 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 who uh, had responsibility for the ideology, for the censorship, you know, the country was, had Jewish origin too. So uh, all five leading figures of the Hungarian communists were Jewish. I mean, I don't like to use the term Jewish, they had Jewish origin, because they were not Jewish. They didn't want to be Jewish. They decided to be communist. Uh, uh, nobody was executed. Uh, uh, nobody was executed. Nobody, just one of them was sitting for a while in a jail, just for two years. You know, the most uh, uh, bloody person, the, the, the head of secret service. Uh, uh, Hungarian, the, the, the leader of Hungarian communist, Rakoshi, died in Soviet Union. He has that pension. You know, another uh, leader of communist, uh, lived in Budapest, Pogunica, you know, a nice neighborhood, as a, you know, as a retired person. Uh, so, and, uh, but some, some communists who had Jewish origin were executed by these Jews. So why, why we are talking on anti-Semitism? Well, I don't let's see the, the other, let's see some other countries. I don't want to argue with you about it now. I, I would just say, uh, as a reader of this literature for decades, it's widely accepted that these were a peculiar manifestation of Stalinist activity. They were part of the broad anti-cosmopolitan uh, denunciations, yeah. and that it was precisely 
the Jewish communists, whether they wanted to be Jewish or not, as you know, you can't <laughs> get out of it, uh, that these Jewish communists were uh, clearly the targets because they were considered less reliable because they were cosmopolitan as well as communist. Thank you, sir. Is there another question? So I have a question. Um, you, you talk in your paper about the transition from communism to democracy, and then um, you probably attribute this reason in terms of the rise of the anti-Semitic discourse to this emergence of new system, which is democratic system and not uh, Soviet communist system. But then, to what degree do you think the economic trends uh, can can be accountable for the rise of this anti-Semitic discourse? And are Jewish more economically better off in your country? Do they live in like separate neighborhoods which are really wealthy, and some people are in distress in terms of the social benefits? Or how do you think this economics plays some kind of role in the emergence of this anti-Semitic discourse in Hungary? Uh, not really, not really. You know, if you take if you take the facts, you know, in Hungary, uh, from year to year, they, they published the ten most uh, richest Hungarian, the, the list of richest Hungarians. Uh, among them, not so many Jewish. There are some, but not so many. If you compare with the interwar period, you know. Uh, about 90% of Hungarian uh, big capitalists was Jewish. You know that, that was one of the one of the argument of the interwar uh, anti-Semitism. You know that, that, that it was, uh, by the way, stupidity because in the country that was living about half million Jew, you know, and 90% of big capitalists was Jewish. But it doesn't mean that the, the, the other uh, uh, half million Jew was rich. Okay, but. Uh, but that was uh, interwar, one of the interwar arguments. Nowadays, it's not so, not so uh, many times they, they, they tell this anti-Semite that uh, you know the Jews are the richest uh, because it's not for them. It's not important what is true, what is uh, not true. Uh, for them now, the the the, uh, the world the world market is bigger than Hungary. Uh, the main target uh, nowadays uh, is the Israeli investors uh, because they, 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 they are in Hungary and they, they, uh, they now they, they built uh, about uh, 20 malls, you know, big shopping centers and a lot of investments they do and they make a big money in Hungary. But, uh, you know, generally be behind the Israeli investors, the, 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 the capital is not Israel. Capital is a British, Greek, you know. But the, the main target is the Israeli investors. I mean, anti Semitic discourse. What, what would be a good source of information to show the economic, uh, demographic composition of Jews between interwar inter periods? Showing where they live, socioeconomic backgrounds? We know it. Or, or yeah, I'm asking. Yeah. Because they say that 90% of the, kind of the major capitalists were Jewish. I would yeah. like to see this in, uh, yes. in writing. Yeah. I find it staggering. That's the yeah. Maybe not just the capitalists, but the average person. I mean, the, because the average people might not be Jewish, but you know, maybe an average Jew may be better off than an average Hungarian. No. I mean, this is there's no sharpness. 
to know that uh, in Hungary, from this point of view, not, not just Hungary, not, you can talk on the Austro-Hungarian Empire, because that was the frame of the, of the modernity. Uh, uh, and if you compare with the Eastern Jews, the, uh, the Austrian and the German and, and, uh, and the Czech or Hungarian Jews didn't create a kind of a, a full vertical society. They didn't have practically Jewish peasants. It has sociological and uh, historical reasons. In the feudal period, for a Jew was not allowed to have land. You know. So the Jews didn't have anything with the, with the land. What did they do because they stigmatized at the, in the feudal period? Because that was a Christian society and the, 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 the stigmatization were because, the, because of the anti-Judaism. That the, 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 the only possibility for the Jews was a, uh, to, uh, to have a merchant activity. The merchant activity was the mostly, mostly uh, uh, under-evaluated activity in the prestige uh, rank of the feudal society. Because in the feudal society, the biggest prestige was the, to have the land. You know? and, uh, and if he was just a merchant, it's, uh, it's nothing. Or to be an intellectual, it was absolutely under-evaluated. But, you know, in the modernity, the change in the society, and this disadvantage became an advantage. Mm -hmm. But if you compare the, the, the average position of a Jewish origin intellectual mm -hmm. with a Hungarian origin intellectual, there's no difference. So you have to compare, not generally the Jew with the Hungarian, with the Jewish intellectual with the Hungarian intellectual, or, or, or a, 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 a Jewish lawyer with a non-Jewish lawyer. Um, I think social psychologists or some social psychologists think of bigotry kind of as a personality trait. So that if somebody is hostile towards one group, they would be hostile towards lots of other groups. But in thinking about anti-Semitism, it's been my impression that it doesn't always correlate with other types of bigotry very well. I was wondering in the, in the Hungarian situation, when you think about um, the bigotry against the gypsy community, does that go along with the overt anti-Semitism? And also, if you think about the anti-Semitism as being driven by anti-Israel attitudes, then I would think that America, as a big defender of Israel, um, would probably, you would probably predict that the same sort of people who are anti-Semitic would also be hostile towards, towards Americans. And so I was wondering if you had any thoughts about how um, hostility towards Jews correlates with or doesn't correlate with other types of attitudes like these? Yes. You know, uh, uh, in, in Hungary, the, uh, I don't know how to say it in English, uh, because we, we have the term anti-Semitic. What do we use concerning the gypsies? Anti-gypsies? Or what, what is the right term? Anti-gypsy feelings or anti... I don't even think gypsy is the right term. Yeah, Roma. Yeah. You're supposed to... Anti-Roma. Um, Anti-Roma anti bigotry. <laughs> okay. Uh, in Hungary, uh, uh, anti-Gypsy, anti, anti, anti-Roma anti, anti feelings are much stronger than the anti-Jewish uh, feelings. Of course, sociologically, it has very different. Uh, they have very different position. The Gypsies, the overwhelming majority of Gypsies, belong to the poor part of the population because the anti-Semitism. Because of the fact that uh, there was just uh, 
petty bourgeoisie and bourgeoisie in a, in a Jewish dimension, in the intergovernmental summits, the goal of was to expropriate this, uh, the property of this, uh, this part of the population. That's why a big part of Hungarian society in the interwar period was interested in the Hungarian Why? Because first, in the first level, they have got the job, the job of a Jewish person, after that, the property of a Jewish person, and after that, everything which belonged to the Jews when they were killed. So uh, it happens in, in every village. The Jews were taken away from the village, they went to the gas chamber, you know, and immediately, uh, the house was given, uh, even the pillow was given to another person. So they had an inter in the case of the gypsies, there is no so kind of interest because they don't have nothing. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but they are different, culturally very different. Even their skin is different. You cannot say, if you are in a Hungarian uh, uh, community, you, can, you cannot say that that's Hungarian, that's Jewish. White skin, you know, more hair, less hair, blonde. There's no difference. But if there is a gypsy, you can say immediately, that's a gypsy. You know. Easy, much, much easier to stigmatize the gypsies. Plus, you know, the gypsies uh, are living in communities, in a certain village. There is a gypsy part of the village, and in, uh, a certain neighborhood, and near, nearby them there is a Hungarian neighborhood. So there's a sharp line, like in the American cities, you know, uh, sometimes uh, uh, concerning the uh, skin of the color, uh, color of the skin. Uh, uh, so easy to stigmatize them, and uh, 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 but sociologically they are very different groups. That's uh, that's a kind of frustration. Of, uh, of, of the Hungarian society, you know, because uh, I tell you something, and maybe that you will understand better. Uh, everywhere in Europe, uh, uh, the nation and the country thinks or Im uh, have an imagination. Uh, generally, uh, uh, the Germans in Germany. Uh, for example, the country, Germany, Germania, can be a female or a male. The Germans say Vaterland. You know, Vaterland, you understand. Germania can be a, a woman. Uh, in Russia, the, the country is Rodina Mart, Mother Russia, <laughs> an older, fat, and, you know, woman. Uh, uh, in Hungary, uh, the country is a female, not a mother, a female, and the nation is a male. If you, if you culturally do, you, you imagine the Hungarian, all the Hungarians imagine the Hungarian nation, brave, you know, and, and ready to fight, and everything which is masculine belongs to the nation, and nothing which is masculine belongs to the country. The country is a female. And the problem, and that's the main reason of Hungarian frustration, that what is the task of, the, of a male? To defend the female. That's a medieval, medieval uh, cultural fixation. But what's happened in the case of Hungary? Everybody, another male, who could come to Hungary, could rape Hungary as a female. The Turks, the Germans, the Austrians, the Russians, everybody. 
and the Hungarians could not defend their country. So what was the, was the, was the way out to hate the country, to hate the female? Okay, a lot of Hungarians went from the country away and said, forget Hungary, I go to America. Or to hate somebody who is weaker than me, you know, and these are the gypsies. The gypsies who are living, who are, who are living uh, in the country, you know, and, uh, and uh, uh, they are not beneficial for the country because they have another culture, they have other uh, 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 color of skin, and, uh, and get out of that. That's, that's very primitive, but that's, I think that's a psychological reason, the, the permanent frustration. So a Hungarian, you know, the, the Poles were ready to make minim, minimum three revolts against the Russians uh, in the 19th century. All time they were defeated. The Hungarians did just one. And they were defeated after that they made a compromise with the Austrians. The Hungarians do not want to fight, you know. They, they, better, better to find a compromise. Of course, if they are wrong, they are very brave. But... Uh, but generally, uh, they are very pragmatic. That's a positive thing, very positive one. The Czechs, very, very similar to the Czechs. The Czechs are so pragmatic too. Uh, but, so the gypsy is, 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 is another other, other issue. But to hit the Jews and America is practically the same. Practically the same. Because the Jews are the agent of any of any cosmopolitan ideas, and America is a cosmopolitan one. You know, if you read that article in any any anti-Semitic, even not in an anti-Semitic Hungarian journal, on this uh, uh, American cultural garbage, that's that's a, that's the term, cultural garbage. You know, Hollywood movies, McDonald's, you know, and so on and so on. That's all time connected with the Jewish uh, infiltration into the country. But hasn't this been a persistence from the communist era? Yes. It was anti-Israel. And wasn't that also a euphemism, like you were talking of new language that's used now, but uh, Israel, in a way, was a substitute for the communists? Identities becoming more um, publicly visible for the first time since the, the Republic uh, emerged after World War II. And we have our institutions, and kosher restaurants, and this sort of flies in the face of republicanism. And many people are connecting it to sort of an American identity, anti-Semitism, anti-Americanism, with sort of interconnected friends. And maybe it's uh, yeah. a little similar. Any other questions? Can I have one more? Sure. Yeah. My, um, you, um, you started the paper by talking about how the context for anti-Semitism in Hungary had very much to do with first the history prior to um, World War II, then the Holocaust, and then the communist experience. Now that, um, there, are, there are different pre-World War II experiences and different World War II experiences in other Eastern European countries, but the post 
and I guess suppose also different post-World um, War II experiences under the communists, but I'm wondering, are there any similarities in Eastern European anti-Semitism that distinguish it from, say, anti-Semitism in Western Europe that you would make more general points about? Any commonalities that would apply to Poland, say, to, to Romania, to, you know, to other Eastern European countries, but not to Western European countries? Yes, I, I, as you told, and as I mentioned too, there was differences in, in, in the Eastern Bloc, in the Communist Bloc, so it's, uh, we can't forget the terminology of the uh, of the of the uh, uh, Ameri Amer American terminology which uh, all the time was talking about the Eastern Bloc. It was a political uh, reason why they talked about it, but uh, sociologically and in the concrete politics that were differences. Uh, 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 if we compare it with Western Europe, I would say that uh, in that countries which had an anti-Semitic politics in Eastern Europe, like Soviet Union, for example, or Poland for a while, or Czechoslovakia after uh, 1968, you know? Uh, this type of politics never, uh, never existed in the post-war post uh, Western Europe. Because uh, uh, for the Western Europeans, it was unacceptable uh, to, to, uh, to have an anti-Semitic politics on a state level on a political level. But for Bomulka and for Husa and for Brezhnev, it was completely accepted. Not for Kada. That was a difference again. So the, the, the real difference that Western Europe openly uh, never had any anti-Semitic politics uh, in, the, in, the, uh, in the time of the, uh, uh, or after the Second World War. Not Charles de Gaulle, not uh, Adenauer, not, you know, not even Franco. Well, Franco was, uh, Franco had a Jewish origin, you know, uh, but, you know, his family was Jewish, let's say, 300 years ago. Well, I, he I was just, a, conver a converted person. There were no Jews in Spain to be very anti-Semitic. <laughs> so then I wanted to thank you very much for coming. And uh, I wish you all a good spring break. And just to remind you, on the 27th of March is our next uh, seminar. Professor David Cesarani from uh, the Department of uh, History at Royal Holloway College will be here. He's a very important scholar. And he'll be speaking, it's a provocative title, Muslims are not Jews, comparing Islamophobia and anti-Semitism in Britain and Europe, so it should be good. And so have a good break and, and